Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for March 12th, 2017. Hope you change your clocks. Spring forward. Koyo Kobose here. So very, very glad you joined us. I want to mention today um, a Buddhist song. I received a newsletter uh, from a Buddhist temple in California, and um, there's an article on the front page here, and it has a picture of the Buddha, a schematic picture, a drawing, drumming an acoustic guitar, and and uh, and he's singing, Everything Must Change, uh, and that's the title of the article. And the minister, Reverend Marvin Harada, writes a few comments on this, and he says, the song Everything Must Change, Must Change uh, the version by George Benson, is one of my favorite songs, and to me, one of the most Buddhist contemporary songs. And then it uh, shows the lyrics. I'll just read the lyrics. Everything must change. Nothing stays the same. Everyone must change. No one stays the same. The young become the old, and mysteries do unfold. But that's the way of time. Nothing and no one goes unchanged. There are not many things in life you can be sure of, except rain comes from the clouds, sun lights up the sky, and hummingbirds do fly. Winter turns to spring, the wounded heart will heal, but never much too soon. Yes, everything must change. Rain comes from the clouds, sun lights up the sky, and music makes me cry. So, you could you could go on the internet and hear this. <laughs> it's pretty neat. And here's what the commentary on the article says by Reverend Harada. This song expresses the Buddhist teaching of impermanence so beautifully. Intellectually, the teaching of impermanence is so simple that a five-year-old can understand it. But isn't it a hard teaching to really embrace and realize in, in one's own life? If we reflect a little little bit about this teaching, we might find that we do not truly live in oneness with this teaching. No matter how much we think we understand it, for example, have you ever had an argument with your husband or wife and you said or thought to yourself, gee, you never used to be like this. Isn't that proof that we, we don't live in oneness with impermanence? We expect our spouse to be just like they were when we married them. We cannot accept that they have changed. Buddhism is trying to teach us to embrace this truth of impermanence in our life. Impermanence means that we should not take this life for granted. And the teaching of impermanence is not a bleak negative teaching. It is a most positive teaching too. If you're in a state of suffering, impermanence means you will not stay in that state all the time even though it might feel that way at the time. Impermanence makes this one life so meaningful, and every phase of our life can be lived fully, enjoyed, and cherished. We might not like some aspects of impermanence, like growing old, facing health issues, and things of that nature, but impermanence means can live our life to its 
fruition, even with the aches and pains it brings. Impermanence means we can look forward to the birth of a grandchild or even a great-grandchild. Impermanence means we can greet new flowers every spring, enjoy the radiant foliage of the fall. We live in oneness with this great flow of life. And the last sentence is the lyric, the young become the old and mysteries do unfold. But that's the way of time. Nothing and no one goes unchanged. In oneness, Reverend Marvin Harada. And then there's a picture there, too, of of uh, <clears throat> footprints in the sand on the ocean beach and uh, with the surf coming in. <laughs> you know, pretty nice article there. Okay, so I wanted to share that. Oh, I wrote on a few post-its that I, that I uh, posted onto this article. Um, one was, oh, this sound, these are comments, I guess, that other people uh, had uh, made on this song. This song reminds me to be strong. Everything will be okay. Trust the Dharma. The Dharma will never let you down. And that's my, that's my uh, paraphrasing of one of them. Somebody didn't write that. Okay. But someone did write this. Most artists sing this in a way, in a sad way. Benson's, Benson's version builds from humble beginnings to an upbeat emphasis of hope and visions for a better tomorrow. And another person said, the piano solo is by George Dalto, one of the best in the business. Listen as he dances on those keys. Uh, and indeed, there is a go on the internet and you'll see George Benson singing and uh, you see this fellow in the background on the keyboards. And because of someone's informed, you know, musical heads up on something like that, you you really pick up on it and you can hear what they're talking about. You know, um, we have to learn how to be good receivers and consumers and, and uh, of how to listen, you know, these things. So that's pretty great, pretty great. Okay, I want to give a listen to and introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse this morning, Doug Cuyo. Uh, he was in the lay minister four group, and he used to work in, uh, he and his wife, they both went through the, his wife Patty Millian, they both went through the program together, part of LM4. And it's so nice when the couples, we have had three or four couples go through a program together. Okay. And uh, he worked in Southern California, and several years ago they retired to the northwest, to Washington State, up in the Seattle area. And let us hear from Doug Guyo. Hello to all in the bright dawn, Sangha. Some years ago, we lost two beloved pets, one to a sudden illness and the other as a consequence of reaching 19 years of age. My wife, Patty Cayo, and I went through the usual period of mourning, and then about a year ago acquired two puppies, Littermates, in fact. The breed, which we stuck with over the years, is called a Skipperkey. They are small but robust dogs that originated in Belgium. 
In World War II, the Belgian resistance used the dogs to run messages between hideouts, apparently undetected by the occupying Nazi troops. The Skipperkees' personality is variously described as independent, willful, and sometimes aloof. We knew this going in and were prepared for a long-term period of training. Despite our familiarity with the breed, these two little brothers have worn us down with their endless feistiness, clearly deserving of the nickname Little Devil Dog, as they are sometimes called. We're making progress, but it has been a struggle. Out in public, they are alert to every sight and sound, often sounding the alarm with their sharp, distinctive bark. On occasion, people have expressed displeasure at their lack of manners, which we can certainly understand. But it's surprising how readily perfect strangers feel free to confront us in a tone that sounds like Queen Victoria, who famously said, We are not amused. Two episodes rankled us in particular. One was at a dog park where we were hoping to get the puppies more socialized and less fixated on each other. Since they can be aggressive, we let them run around in the big dog section of the park. Unfortunately, because they have no idea of their size and never back down, they got into an artle bargle with a standard poodle, and we had to leave. As we were exiting the park, a woman made it her mission to walk over to us from a long way away and say, if they can't get along with the other dogs, then maybe you don't belong here. And for emphasis, she repeated, you don't belong in dog park. We apologized for the incident, and with our tails between our legs, did the walk of shame back to our car. Another similar occurrence happened at a local Wi-Fi hotspot and cafe. We had gotten something to eat and were sitting at an outdoor table removed from other patrons. We were doing our best to control the five-month-old puppy's behavior, but they were barking at birds, leaves, and anything else that moved. Seeing other customers coming into the area, we got up to go. As we were leaving, we heard someone say in a pained tone to our retreating backs, annoying. We turned around to face our accuser and asked, excuse me, and she snapped, you heard me, that's annoying. Again, we apologized and moved along, feeling we had received harsh treatment for a rather minor offense. Now, I should say at this point that I am not trying to excuse our dog's behavior or imply that these people did not have a valid complaint, but for some time afterwards, Patty and I would replay these scenes and rewrite the endings, often with us responding with a perfectly timed barb to which no answer was possible. Triumphant, we would make a dignified exit. As the saying goes, the French have a word for it, and this futile exercise is known as l'esprit d'escalier, or staircase wit, which conjures up the image of someone thinking of the perfect reply after the party is over and they're going upstairs on their way to bed. This incessant rehashing of old business reminds me of the Zen story of the two monks who are traveling together. They come to a river where they see a young woman attempting to cross. Despite having taken a vow not to touch the woman, the older monk carries her across to the other side. They continue on their journey in silence until the younger monk finally blurts out, how could you carry that woman on your shoulders after the vow we have taken? The older monk replies, brother, I set her down on the other side of the river. Why are you still carrying her? So why were Patty Cayo and I still carrying this baggage around with us and letting these people live in our brains rent-free? In other words, what is the skillful Buddhist response in these situations? Clearly, lapsing into the relative world of us versus them and trying to win some pointless argument isn't the way to go. 
And I know from long experience, and even when I make some clever retort, somewhere down the line it turns sour and I regret my behavior. On the other hand, I don't think as Buddhists we are expected to be doormats. Didn't the Buddha say something like, if you become angry with me and I don't get insulted, then the anger falls back on you? We kept recalling these episodes because we were unsatisfied with the outcome and more particularly our behavior in this scenario. How could we have handled this better? We know this is going to happen to us happen to us in the future, so how can we be prepared? And then it occurred to us, and here is the glimpse. In situations like these, we can just gushel. In this way, without cringing or retaliating, we send a message of respect and oneness for the other person to accept or not. Either way, you've taken care of your side of the street. The fact that we didn't do this at the time and automatically fell into a defensive adversarial mode is an indication that our spiritual fitness isn't all it should be. Our lack of spontaneity implies that we have gotten away from the Dharma teaching, which is our compass when faced with the unexpected. And isn't everything in life ultimately unexpected? So now, before leaving the house to do battle with the world, I'll check my spiritual survival kit. And right on top, in a quick draw holster, will be a high-powered gasho, locked and loaded. Thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts with you today, and gasho to all. Thank you very much. That's really nitty-gritty stuff about everyday, everyday things. You know, as my father, Reverend Tomi Kubosa, used to say in one of his articles, said, we usually handle the big things in life pretty good. There's a small thing that get us upset. That, well, quote, small, unquote things. But life's full of, that's what life is, full of all these small things day to day, and indeed, I remember uh, Doug Cuyo telling another glimpse that involved the gush show, and uh, it, it was the same point. He used to commute a lot, and for many of us, our driving etiquette uh, and how we handle Root drivers and things like this. Uh, he was in a in a maybe like an airport garage, underground garage, and he would and uh, pretty big one. And he and another car approached the intersection on in the intersection there at the same time, and they both came to a stop. And he looked, and there was two men in the front there and he didn't plan it but for some reason <laughs> he just kind of bowed and he did gusho and they broke into a big smile um, and uh, he remembers this and sorry that but it's such a little thing okay. uh, how do we indeed handle these interactions and it's not a matter of who's right or wrong or blaming or things like this but indeed uh, if if you you know 
if you say, you know, sorry, you, you make a gesture of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the fact that, in this case, the dogs and you do a gut show. Uh, that is a pretty, um, spiritual tool, effective spiritual tool and a way of trying to handle this thing and it's very admirable. Uh, I remember that story about the two traveling uh, Zen monks and uh, many people in our program mentioned that story and that had a lot of impact. I remember another person had, uh, well, anger issues when he feels that uh, something was done that, you know, again, personal interactions. Regardless of who was right or wrong, fair and fair, if you're going to carry it afterwards, and this person said he he made a personal mantra, leave it by the stream. (laughs) Leave it by the stream, and uh, you know everyone. Every one of us has our triggers, our buttons that get pushed, and you know maybe in sports or something. And and while I'm thinking of this person, I'm just talking about now. He nicest guy, but in sports he was so competitive. And if someone, you know, give a hard foul to him or something, or hey, you shouldn't follow me near my head, or you violated some unwritten rule of sportsmanship or something. You know, he, he, uh, a lot of times he almost seemed like he was, he was so confrontational. See? So I know he had that kind of uh, buttons that got pushed in certain situations like we all do. See? And I have to give him credit for him uh, saying, leave it by the stream, one of his mantras. Um, indeed, indeed, uh, all of us can really relate to this, and it's not easy. Um, I was wondering, <laughs> just sort of an aside, but when in the Dharma Glimpse they're talking about the, sort of the guard dog uh, abilities. I'm really kind of curious because just the other day uh, we have our two dogs in the house and um, no windows are are open, you know, because it's still not summertime yet. And one time we were in the living room and all of a sudden my my dogs got alert and barked a little bit over near pointing to the, going to the, um, uh, patio door, glass door in the backyard. And so I got up and took a look. And maybe about 50, 60 yards away, I saw a bobcat scampering over the boulders. Now, we have, I know that bobcat. I mean, he's, he lives in, in our neighborhood, in our, you know, wooded area here. And I've seen him before. But this, I was wondering, what is the cue? I'm sure that, that they didn't see the bobcat. He wasn't that close to the house. He didn't come up, you know. And, I, and I'm pretty sure he, he, he didn't make any sound. 
Was it the smell? I mean, was it, you know, how did those dogs know? They, um, now, maybe, well, <laughs> there are a lot of examples perhaps like this, okay, but um, that kind of, uh, their, their button gets pushed in a good way in the sense of being uh, why they were domesticated in the first place and the fact that from the wolves, I guess, and uh, uh, by through breeding, you get everything from chihuahuas to the great things all coming from the wolves. And that story of evolution of, <laughs> of dogs, a fantastic scenario, I guess, and, uh, but, uh, it's going to be interesting to hear more karma glimpses from Doug Cuyo and his wife about their two dogs, so that's all for today's broadcast, till next time, hang in there and keep going, and you have a beautiful day. <laughs>